You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. I uh, lived through a day um, a number of years ago that I shall never forget. My parents were staying with us in Adelaide from Melbourne. And I had a very busy day ahead. I remember that. Uh, as is my custom, I'd worked on my to-do list the night before. I had it all laid out. I put it in my diary and I was ready to face that day. I thought I would just go out and say goodbye to my parents before I went. They were staying out in our family room. We used to have the old air beds and stuff, you know, as you do when family come and visit. As soon as I walked into the family room, I could see that my dad was in real trouble. And uh, he was a terrible colour. He was clutching his pyjama top in the region of his chest. I said, Dad, are you, are you okay? And my dad said something I never thought I'd ever hear him say. He was a very strong man, a very, um, very independent man, a very uh, confident man. And with a broken voice, he just simply said, I think you better get an ambulance. And fortunately, living in Adelaide, we made the call and I'd hardly put the phone down. And I heard that siren just up in Sturt Road, not very far away. It's one of the blessings of living in Adelaide. You're not very far away from anything. <laughs> and so uh, within minutes, uh, the ambulance guys were there and, and my dad, in his mid-60s, was suffering a massive heart attack. I want to give you all the details. I kept to say that within a very short space of time, my mother and I were sitting in a very small waiting room in the Flinders Medical Centre, waiting on news of my father. And the irony was that I'd ministered in that city at that stage in two churches for about 17 years. And I had sat in that room with, I couldn't remember how many people, as they waited for word about their loved one. I'd been summoned to the hospital. I'd been sitting there ministering and praying and waiting. And here I was with my mother, just the two of us sitting in the same room. And over the years, I thought I'd, I thought I'd ministered to these other people in a reasonably effective way. And looking back, I, I think I probably had. But I got insights that day into what it means to sit in a waiting room, waiting for news of a loved one. I got insights that day that I could only get when it was my loved one I was waiting on news for. My dad did survive that heart attack. He lived with us for another nine years and then passed away in 2004. Now, here's the point. I know one thing about that day. Everything that I thought was of earth-shattering importance, all those priorities that I'd neatly set out on my sheet, tasks, phone calls, delegation, got it all worked out. Every single one of those that day was less important than that particular event. And I spent the rest of my day uh, comforting my mother, waiting on news of my father and trying to minister to my family as best I could. My team gathered around me, of course, as you'd expect. And it was amazing, you know. You suddenly realise you're not indispensable after all. Other people can do the things that you thought only you could do. It was pretty, you know, revealing. and pretty uh... Guys, that's, that's how priorities... I, I, I never cease to be amazed how under certain circumstances, priorities can be just, just turned upside down. Have you had days like that? Can you recall a moment in your life when you had everything all planned out and you thought the day was going to go a certain way and all of a sudden, within a very short space of time, it was turned upside down? Well, you know, 
At the heart of this incident with Mary and Martha is the theme of priorities. That's at the heart of this familiar passage. Verse 38, it's a beautiful homely touch to this verse. Verse 38, Jesus came to a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. What an honour. What an honour to be able to welcome a physical, living, breathing Jesus into your home. I mean, you'd want to make sure everything was right, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd really want to make sure everything. I remember the days when ministers used to do a lot more house calls than we do today. We tend to meet people for coffee and dinner. We still do some house calls, but in the day when it was expected you do house calls, you could always tell when people had rearranged the house before the, you know, oh, pastor's coming. Oh, let's hide those magazines and, oh, let's uh, turn the radio on. Oh, we better change that TV, you know, program. And I actually had a family put on some soft, you know, religious music just to kind of ease me into the, and I think I said at the time, you know, is that all you guys listen to? It's middle of the week, you know, well, well, I'm getting a bit of rock stuff happening here. Oh, oh, was that okay, Pastor? Of course it's okay, just hang loose, relax, you know. Uh, so I don't know what the expectation would have been, but I get the feeling like, here's Martha, she's the older sister and she's out in the kitchen and she wants this to be the best meal she has ever cooked. She's kind of referring to all those things she's learned on Master Chef, and she just wants this to be absolutely perfect because Jesus Christ, who can turn water into wine, who can turn loaves and fishes into a meal for 5,000, he's going to be at my guest tonight. I mean, you'd, the pressure would be on, wouldn't it? And so it's understandable that she's out in the kitchen and she's fussing and she's getting everything right. But there's something else. You'd also want to rec- you'd recognize that here was a unique opportunity to sit one-on-one with Jesus Christ. I mean, how good would that be? So that point wasn't lost on Mary, the other sister. And that was her choice. I mean, here's the thing. Both Mary and Martha appear to be involved in important activities. That's the first thing we notice about this story. You can't say, oh, one's more important. I mean, they both seem to be involved. True, Martha is the is the more down-to-earth, practical kind of woman. She's getting the things ready and just making sure everything's just right. Mary is adopting a more contemplative, uh, more, we might say, spiritual approach to this visit by Jesus. But they're both involved in, in some important activities. But, but then the part of the story that I think we all find a bit hard to hear and a, hard, a bit hard to deal with, it really is, it's a bit harsh. It's Jesus' rebuke to Martha. Here's Martha. She says, oh, come on, Jesus... Get Mary to the kitchen. Things are happening out here and I'm falling behind. And here's what Jesus says. Verse 41. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled over so many things. But just one thing is needed. This is the Lord's response to her plea, you know, to get Mary into the kitchen and get some help. Now, look, I think we, I know I do. I think we all resonate with the sense of justice that, that Martha is looking for, don't we? I mean, there's a sense of justice here. There's got to be a meal prepared. Things have got to be right. Somebody's got to do it. Martha's out there doing it. And so we all sense, you know, yeah, she's got a point. And I think this story would be much easier to handle if Jesus had said to Mary, you know what, look, <laughs> I appreciate you wanting to hear, you know, all about what's been going on. and so on. But look, let's just go out to the kitchen. You, you go out and help your sister. And we can finish off this conversation over dinner. I think we'd all feel a lot better if that's the approach that Jesus had taken. But no, Jesus responds to Martha in a way that sort of indicates 
you know, you've missed the point. You just don't understand what's going on here. You've totally missed the point. It's a fairly firm, a fairly harsh rebuke. It's hard for Martha and it's hard for us to hear that. Would you agree? It really is. You'd think Jesus may have spotted, I mean, looking at it you know, from a textual point of view, you'd think Jesus may have spotted that there's a link here. In what's happening with these two women, there's a link here from which he could have made a very powerful spiritual point. You see, on many occasions, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? In fact, he's asked that question earlier on in this very chapter, verses 25 to 28. You can check it out. Somebody says, yeah, what is the greatest commandment? And without hesitation, Jesus says, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and love your neighbour as you love yourself. That is the greatest commandment, says Jesus. So have a look at this. This is how I see it. Mary is a great example of love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, while Martha is a great example of love your neighbour as you love yourself. Get involved in practical ministry. Be, be ready to serve. So, you know, it's a perfect balance here in the Christian life. A practical, others-centred approach to Christian ministry and discipleship born out of a very close and intimate relationship with Jesus. Isn't this the one thing you're talking about, Lord? This is the one thing, surely. Practical ministry and a devotion to you where we sit at your feet and listen and learn. It's beautiful. It's just the right balance. Well, in the Bible, there are a number of people who talk about the one thing. It's not only in this passage. It's not only here. David, Psalm 27, verse 4. I've asked the Lord for one thing. One thing only do I want. To live in the Lord's house all my life, to marvel there at His goodness and to ask for His guidance. And then some of you are one step ahead of me and you're thinking already of Paul's words in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. I really do not think that I've already won the prize. The one thing I do, however, is to forget what is behind me and do my best to reach what is ahead. And then just a little bit before in verse 10 of this Philippians 3 passage, when he talks about his one burning desire, the thing he's most passionate about, his mission, his purpose, what is it? He says, all I want, the one thing is to know Christ and to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings and to become like him in his death. Now, these guys are talking essentially about priorities. David, Paul, and in this instance, Jesus, they're talking about priorities as they seek to make an impact, as they seek to be the best they can be for God. Back to our story and to Jesus' words on Martha. Or to Martha rather. Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And then he adds, then he adds, and these words are so crucial. He says, Mary has chosen. Priorities are about choice. Mary has chosen that one thing and it will not be taken from her. Now I would imagine that at this point, some of us who are perhaps more oriented toward the practical, more inclined to serve in tangible ways, you're perhaps becoming a little uneasy, thinking that the one thing Jesus is talking about, the one elusive thing, is in fact the more spiritual, the more contemplative approach to the faith and, and that service 
and ministry in a practical sense are not as important. You could conclude that. You know, what's happened to the idea of balance? You know, Jesus is discounting service, elevating contemplation and spirituality. What's happened to the, to the balance? What, what if I find you're saying that you know, my, my giftings aren't in you know, deep, intensive study? It's just not something that comes easy to me? What if my gift is not public prayer? What if I find those things a little bit tricky? What if my, what if my sort of thing is you know, living it out and showing by my actions and by my attitudes and by my words that I'm a Christian and then grasping the opportunities that come my way to, to talk about it? What if that's more my wiring? Well, I've got good news. I mean, both are required. The practical and the more spiritual, both are required. There's tremendous evidence in the scriptures that following Jesus is a combination, as Lily beautifully pointed out tonight, of practical service, practical ministry, and she's one of so many, of course, involved weekly in a connection group, drawing deeply on the word, drawing deeply on the support and the, and the fellowship and the strength and the accountability of others within the group. And so here's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning, praying, worshipping, both components are important to fulfill the greatest commandment, which Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. There's the double thrust in what it means to be a disciple. So what is the one thing? I'm a pretty simple guy and I think of things mainly in simple ways. Not, not simplicity, or not simplistic I should say, but in simple ways. To me, the one thing clearly is our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the one thing that Jesus is talking about. But again, wait a minute. Somebody says, hang on, are we being a little bit judgmental here? So are we saying that Mary, because she's the one prepared to sit at the feet of Jesus, are we saying that like she's the one who's the more spiritual? She's the one who's the more pious. She's the one who's exhibiting more devotion to the Lord. Where Martha, and Martha's had a lot of criticism over the years, she's the non-spiritual, you know, out there in the kitchen, not really aware of what's happening, forfeiting the opportunity to talk with Jesus. Like she's the bad one. Mary's a good, is that how it is? I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. There is no evidence to suggest that there's any difference between, in the allegiance to Christ between Martha and Mary. In fact, if you get into the Lazarus passage, Martha figures really prominently in that and she shows tremendous depth and spirituality. There's no evidence to suggest that either of the, that these ladies were different at the point of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. No difference at all. However, there was something. There was something that distinguished them on this particular day. And I think it can be best summed up this way. A rising out of our relationship with Jesus, the one thing is our ability to discern priorities. That's the thing that distinguished these two ladies on this particular day when Jesus Christ came to visit. That's what made the difference. Those two words of Jesus, Mary chose. That's the point of distinction. Mary chose. Both women were engaged in important Activities, we've established that. Both expressing an aspect of, the, of discipleship, we've established that. But only one showing the spiritual discernment and, and the ability to get priorities right. You see, is there any evidence to suggest that Mary never picked up a tea towel in her whole life? 
she was just permanently in this sort of like spiritual mode? No. She was probably as involved in the kitchen as anybody. Nor was there any evidence to suggest that Martha never left the kitchen. No evidence at all. It's all about this one day. On this day, Jesus was in their home. And it was this day that Mary realised that the number one priority for that day was forget everything else and sit at the feet of Jesus. Just like that day when my father had the heart attack, the one thing to do was to go in a completely different mode to the one that I thought I'd be in for that day. Guys, let me earth this a little bit. Like these are the decisions. I said at the outset that you know, finding your purpose, finding your mission in life, whilst it has to do with some striking revelation, can be some kind of Damascus Road experience. Mine was like that. My call in the ministry was very strong, very clear. Some of you have, are in vocations where you know that's what you're meant to do. Others of you, you're in a vocation, but it's kind of like a means to an end. You haven't had that moment of, you know, wow, this is what I'm meant to do. But you're pressing on and you're still in search of some kind of revelation from God. I want to say tonight that the revelation of his purpose and mission often comes as we consistently make the right decisions about priorities, as we exercise spiritual discernment. For example, we make decisions about worship on a regular basis. There's so much happening on Sunday. I've been invited to so many things. Yeah, worship, I've missed a couple, but, you know, seem to be going okay. I know people who make big decisions with families and say, you know what, sorry, we'll be there late. Or, sorry, you picked the wrong day for us. We're heavily involved in our church. My family would hate that. Well, I know people who do that. And families eventually kind of get the message, you know. There's, a, there's, an, exa- there's a, an instance where some tough decisions sometimes have to be made. Not, not, I'm not saying every time, but like, you know, if the, if the balance shifts and if it's more friends and family and, and, and social activities that are getting the, then priorities are out of whack. We're making the wrong decisions on a consistent basis. Same with prayer. Am I going to watch this uh, next episode of Revenge because I missed the last couple? Well, you know, am I going to, I'm going to, I haven't prayed for a couple of days. Maybe I need to really kind of you know, get on my knees before the Lord and really see what's going on because I kind of sense I'm drifting. I'm, gee, I wonder why. When it gets to Bible reading, you know, Bible reading connection group, ooh, you know, ooh, it's a bit bleak out there. You know what? I think. I think maybe it's time to stay inside. Look, maybe it is. But if like, that's the third time you've made that decision on the run, then that's, there's, an exa- there's a Martha moment. There's a Martha moment. Kind of miss the, miss the whole thing of what's going on here. The need for, for priorities. Getting involved with people, showing compassion, getting ministering, volunteering to, to get involved in a ministry like, like uh, the Glebe uh, Backyard Blitz or our aged care ministry or Hope Street or whatever, you know, uh, thinking, well, there's so many there at the church. I'm sure others must be doing it. So many. Madagascar, ooh, not sure about that for me. Lots on, lots happening. I I, I don't know how God's... All I know is over over the years of my life, there are those defining moments when you kind of just, you just know this this is the right thing for this moment. This is the merry moment for me. Are we going through it, life, or are we really going for it? 
Are we really embracing it? Are we really looking for and responding with spiritual discernment to those moments when to choose the right thing, like Mary, and put other things aside is going to move us increasingly closer to that which God has in mind for us? Because after all, isn't that what purpose is about? Isn't that what mission is about? You can be in an unfulfilling job and still be on a mission for God. Not all the pieces fall into place perfectly to be on a mission for God. You can be on a mission for God, finding incredible purpose and fulfillment in a setting that's not all that exciting. If God's in the centre of it and you're serving and discovering your gifts and honouring Him and consistently coming up with some merry moments, that's your purpose. That's your mission. And in some cases, God will bless your socks off. In other cases, it'll be a hard grind for quite a while. But if you're part of a supportive church and a caring church like Northside, hopefully you're going to get through it. Guys, I don't know what this may mean for you. I know for me, looking back over the years, it's kind of meant, it's meant that I've been increasingly led into that initial purpose of ministry, but that's, that was just the beginning. There's been other aspects and other dimensions to my ministry where trying consistently to watch for those Martha moments when you miss it and afterwards go, whoa, how could I miss that? Looking for the merry moments and embracing them to the exclusion of all else. And of course, that's what a decision for Jesus Christ ultimately is about. And some of you are there at the point where that's your next step, to make a decision for Jesus Christ, to actually embrace the new life that, that Paul has demonstrated tonight in baptism, the new life that Jesus Christ offers. It comes to a point where you put aside the other voices, the other influences, the other factors in your life that are weighing heavily on you and guiding you in a certain direction. You put them to one side and say, you know what? I'm giving priority to Jesus Christ. He's the one under whose management, that's the one thing I want. And I'll just see how he helps the other stuff fall into place. And he will. And he does. And some things continue. And some things you thought would never, ever go. Including friendships. Including circles of influence. They do go. In ways that you can't imagine now. But they do go. If they need to go to keep you on track for God. That's been the story of so many in this church. I could call on people just left, right and centre to say, you know what, that's, that's, that's me. I was in a scene that I thought I could never do without. I came to Jesus Christ and I just never want to go back to that scene again. I was with certain people whom I thought I would need for my journey. Couldn't imagine life without them. All of a sudden, like, they're not around. I've got, I've got new friends now. I've got new influences now. I'm moving in a new direction. I'm on a new pathway. The one thing. What is the one thing you're striving for tonight? What's the one thing that you need to embrace that you should embrace? If you're on the pathway with Jesus, embrace that with all you've got. If you're yet to start the journey, embrace him tonight. You'll never get a better opportunity. Let's bow in prayer, shall we?